Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of One Accord, a show dedicated to having difficult theological conversations, but doing so in a spirit of Christian love and humility. Don't get mistaken. Christian love doesn't necessarily mean that we pretend that we agree on everything, but it does mean that we are willing to talk about positions that we differ on, but to talk about the position instead of attacking the person. Sometimes we might get a little animated just because we're passionate and we care about these things, but we do so in love because we care about the truth, but we also care about each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we want God to be honored and, and glorified in all these conversations. We want to sharpen one another as iron sharpens iron. And we want to make sure that we maintain our unity, not just in particular theological camps, but that we're maintaining our unity in Christ himself and in the gospel. Today, we've got another interesting and stimulating conversation. And so I'm not here alone. Let's go ahead and bring in our first uh, participant, Pastor Eric Love. Pastor Eric, how are you doing today? Uh, doing good, and uh, I'm really, um, uh, really looking forward to this topic. It's a very important topic. Some topics are more important than others, but I think this one's probably one of the most important. Maybe we're going to be talking. Sure. Yes. No. I mean, it's a. It's definitely going to be a doozy. I think. Before we get into that, I did want to ask. You mentioned last time that uh, you guys were going to have a harvest party last weekend. Everything go well? It, it did. Yeah, we had uh, we had a good turnout. Um, and I think the I think the bounce house was the uh, was the icing on the cake so that star of the show keep the kids out of it so that was really good the yeah. hayride was good too uh a lot of a lot of good things happened so we're, we're really thankful for that yeah well uh I, I do have a follow-up on that you said you couldn't keep the kids out of it did uh did pastor eric get in there and jump around in the bounce house was, was that something that was going on that's for me to know and you to wonder <laughs> no i, I guess did. i, gotta, I actually did i guess my, i gotta <laughs> my kids my kids asked me to go in there with them so i i did go through it once i, I it's a, it was that's like good. a maze type of thing so yeah i did go through it that's a way to increase participation at next year's be like is he gonna go in is he not you gotta come and find <laughs> right. out for yourself so uh well yeah. excellent well it's good to have you again uh, brother i i uh, am looking forward to getting into this conversation with you as well and let's go ahead and bring in our uh, third team member brother greg how you doing today sir i'm doing great good morning guys good to see you and yeah uh, last I'm time you i'm were excited for this topic uh because Eric has like foreshadowed this in, in our conversation. So this topic that he feels all topics are equal, but some are more equal than others. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely ready to jump in and hear what he has to say. Yes, no doubt. So uh, well, just following up with you from last time, you were a little under the weather. Everybody in your household feeling uh, back to 100%? Yeah, we're ready, fit to fight. So we're good That's to go. That's good. Well, I wanted to make sure of that just because uh, in case today you say anything silly, you get the full blame. You have no out today. So we just wanted to make sure we get that on camera. I want to rescind my the, last comment and yeah, uh, <laughs> still give yourself an out. Well, Absolutely. well, very good. Well, well, I am uh, looking forward to diving into this com uh, conversation with you guys. And the topic at hand is the doctrine of perseverance of the saints, the P in TULIP. And so, uh, Brother Eric, you have mentioned that uh, kind of you come from that more Arminian perspective. And uh, I know that you said that you're passionate about this. So why don't you go ahead and start us off and kind of set the table for us a little bit. If someone was talking to you about this doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, uh, what do we need to know? Kind of how do you view it? I guess uh, we'll, we'll turn it over to you to just get us started today. Sure. Uh, just to clarify, uh, I'll be using eternal security as a synonym for perseverance of the saints. Perseverance of the saints is a little bit, uh, a little bit long. Uh, if there's a difference, I don't know what it is. Maybe later on we can talk about uh, if there is a difference or not. Um, but I also I also want to say right off the bat that I fully acknowledge that there are godly, sincere Christians who believe in eternal security. Uh, I've known very godly men and women who who believe in eternal security. They're uh, 
great people. So I'm not at war with, uh, with the opposing side. I consider them brothers and sisters in Christ. It's just that my study of the scriptures has led me to a different conclusion. So I just want to make that uh, very clear right off the bat. Um, my position is that it's possible for a genuine Christian to lose his or her salvation. Um, and I'll talk about how that happens um, later on. But I, I, I don't believe this doctrine because I want to. As a matter of fact, if there were doctrines that I could just eliminate, I think the first one would be eternal punishment. And the mm. second one, the close second, would be this one that I'm going to be presenting uh, today. I know that may sound odd, but I, I don't believe this because I want to. I, I, have, um, uh, I have no desire for this to be true. Uh, and on, on the contrary, I, I actually left uh, eternal security kicking and screaming, as I've said before. Uh, but I did it because I just became convinced that it's, it's just simply not what the Bible teaches. Uh, so that's, that's my position. So what does the Bible teach on this subject? I want to go over just a few things here um, and make a few points. Uh, Jesus and the apostles repeatedly warned true Christians to remain faithful. Uh, for example, and, and there's so many verses that I could cover, but for sake of time, I'm only, I'm only going to cover just a few. Uh, but in Colossians 1, 22 and 23, Paul said that the Colossian believers would be presented before Christ holy and blameless and beyond reproach if indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you've heard. The word if suggests that, suggests that it was possible for the Colossians to not continue in the faith and be moved away from the hope of the gospel. That word if is it's a particle of conditionality. So it, 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 what follows is, is a condition for receiving what was stated. Now, advocates of eternal security have dealt with this and other verses like it in, in a few different ways. And some have argued that Paul was talking to false converts and was telling them to believe the gospel. Uh, I don't know how they could come to this conclusion. The context completely rules this out. In verse 22, Paul says that they had been reconciled to God. So these were not false converts. Paul believed that they were reconciled to God. And furthermore, the words continue in the faith could only mean that these were people who already had faith. It makes no sense to warn someone who has no faith to continue in the faith since they have no faith to continue in. Uh, now, others like uh, John Piper, for example, have claimed that warnings like this are not teaching that it's possible for believers to fall away, but these verses are only used to keep believers from falling away. So they're warnings that are simply meant to keep believers on the path. But if that's the case, are we honestly expected to believe that God keeps believers eternally secure by telling them they're not? If it's, if it's not possible for believers to fall away, then why mention the possibility of falling away? Isn't, isn't there another way to warn believers that doesn't involve using very misleading language? Uh, the second point I want to make is the verses used to support eternal security are always accompanied by warnings and conditions. For example, uh, Romans 8, 35 through 39, probably everybody is familiar with that passage. Uh, Paul says, basically, nothing can separate us from the love of God. But what's interesting is just earlier in the same chapter, in Romans eight thirteen, Paul gave this warning. He said, for if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. 
But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And there's a question as to what does Paul mean by death here? And the context suggests that by death, Paul means that those who live according to the flesh won't participate in the resurrection of the righteous that Paul discussed uh, earlier uh, in the chapter, just just a, a couple of verses before that. So Paul must be referring to eternal death. And also this warning is directed at those who are able to put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit. And of course, the only person that could do that would be a Christian. So that the warning is, is directed at Christians. Philippians 1.6, and probably everybody knows that verse also. This is another example um, of a security passage uh, that's it's often used to support eternal security. And the, Paul says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And at first glance, it sounds like this is a guarantee. Like God started this work and he's going to finish it no matter what happens. However, later in Philippians 2.16, Paul gave this warning to the same people. He said, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. So in Philippians 1.6, uh, Paul says, he makes it sound as if God's going to complete this work no matter what. But then later, uh, he went on to warn them to continue in the gospel, to continue holding on to the gospel. In other words, the completion of uh, God's work depended on the perseverance of these believers. And in Jude verse 1, this is another example, the believers, um, believers Jude says, are kept for Jesus Christ. I heard one pastor uh, use this verse as, as proof that uh, Believers are are just kept, and they can't uh, they can't uh, depart from Christ because they're kept in uh, they're kept in Him. But later in Jude verse twenty one, Jude tells the same believers to keep yourselves in the love of God. So believers are kept, uh, but they also have to keep themselves. So for these and other reasons, I believe that I believe the security passages should be understood as encouragements not as unconditional promises. And how I would say it is God will be faithful to do his part as long as believers are faithful to do theirs. And I'll talk about what the part of the believer is uh, shortly. The third point I want to make is Jesus explicitly taught that believers can fall away. In his explanation of the parable of the sower, and I, I hasten to, to add, this is not the parable itself, it's Jesus' explanation of the parable. And in his explanation, in Luke 8, 13, Jesus said, Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and they have no firm root. They believe for a while, and in time of temptation fall away. So Jesus plainly said that some, some believers, they believe for a while, and then fall away. And usually how this verse is dealt with is... Um, some would claim that the word believe, it doesn't refer to saving faith, but only counterfeit faith. It's talking about somebody that was just pretending to have faith. Now, the problem with this is that Jesus used the same Greek word to describe genuine saving faith just one verse earlier. He never said they pretend to believe for a while. He never said they were, uh, they were putting on some kind of front. He said that they believe for a while. 
And that seems to be the, just the plain language of the text. So the claim that Jesus was not describing genuine faith is not supported by the context, and it denies the plain reading of Jesus' words, as far as I can tell. Uh, the fourth point I want to make is there are actual instances of believers turning from the faith mentioned in Scripture. In other words, these warnings are not just hypothetical. Uh, there are actual instances. In 1 Timothy 5, 14 and 15, Paul wrote, Therefore, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. For some have already turned aside to follow Satan. So the language suggests that these were women who were following Christ at a previous time, and then they turned away to follow Satan. Later in 1 Timothy 6.10, uh, just one chapter later, uh, Paul spoke of others who had fallen away. He said, For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So again, Paul, I think he's, he seems to be referring to men who once followed Christ, but then turned away from him to pursue wealth. Uh, earlier in 1 Timothy 4.1, Paul warned Timothy, saying, But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. And not only is turning away from God possible, but according to the Spirit's words, it was inevitable. It was going to happen. And fearing that Timothy might fall for these heresies, Paul warned him in 1 Timothy 4.16, saying, Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. So the verse is referring to the falling away of genuine believers. The warnings um, against falling away, they're not hypothetical but express real possibilities, and in the case of 1 Timothy 4.1, a certainty. And as I'm going through this, I'm just thinking there's so many other verses I, I, could, I could cover, but I'm, for sake of time, I'm not, I'm not going to. I want to make a, a fifth point, and the reason I want to make this point about this particular verse is this is probably the mother of all eternal security verses, um, and that's 1 John 2.19. And you guys know the verse. The verse says, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. So this verse is used to argue that if a man turns from the faith, then he never had faith to begin with. Uh, if, if you fall away, you never had it in the first place. As a matter of fact, I heard a pastor um, say a while back, he said, 1 John 2.19 is the clearest verse in the Bible about eternal security. So I want to I put that claim to the test. And I want to just, uh, just want to examine just a few things about this verse. Notice John says, but they were not really of us. Now, it, notice what John says, but notice what he, what he doesn't say. John does not say that the Antichrists, which is who he's talking about, John does not say that these antichrists were never really of us, but only that they were not really of us at the time of their departure. In other words, John says nothing about their prior spiritual state, but only that they were rejecting the truth when they went out from us. So the verse simply doesn't say enough to be used as support for eternal security. It would have to say 
they were never really of us at any previous time. And the verse never says anything like that. Uh, John is talking about their, their, their beliefs and their spiritual state at the time they left uh, the, the Christians. We're, we're told nothing about their spiritual state prior to, uh, to that time. Furthermore, if John was teaching that genuine Christians will always remain faithful, then we're left to wonder why he urged his readers to abide in Christ just a few verses later in 1 John 2.24 and 2.27. So it seems, it seems strange that John would, would say, you're eternally secure, and if you, if you leave the faith, you never had it. Uh, but then just a few verses later, he's warning his readers, make sure that you're abiding in Christ, as if they might not. And he says, for if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, which just simply means if they had believed our teaching, they would have remained with us. And again, John does not say that they never believed the truth, but only that they were rejecting it when they left. So there's no reason to suppose that this verse teaches that a genuine Christian will always remain a Christian, and if they turn away from the faith, they never had it. This, the verse simply doesn't say enough. Uh, to prove that. And we have no knowledge from this verse about the, the previous spiritual state of these, uh, these apostates or these, uh, these antichrists. So there's, there's so many other texts uh, to cover. Again, we only have just a, uh, a certain amount of time to cover today, um, but maybe later on in the discussion, uh, we, can, we can get into some of these things in more detail. I had mentioned earlier that I was going to explain how um, how believers can fall from grace. I think it can happen at least in, in these three ways. The first way, I think a believer can fall from grace by embracing a false gospel. Uh, in Galatians 5.4, Paul wrote, You have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. So you guys know what Galatians is all about. There was some false teachers in the church. They were claiming that uh, you had to follow the law in order to be justified. And it sounds like some of the believers in the church embraced this false teaching and embraced this false gospel. And Paul said, if, if you have embraced this false gospel, the idea that you can be justified by the law, then you have been severed from Christ and you've fallen from grace. Now, that's the first way. Um, that, that a believer can fall from grace. The second way is uh, the Christian allows sin to conquer or master them. If, if sin is not dealt with in the Christian life, then it grows stronger while the believer's will to resist it becomes weaker. And this process can eventually cripple the will and cause the believer to incur spiritual death. And I look at verses like James 1.15 and 2 Peter 2.20-21 uh, as support for that. Now, the, the analogy that I give is this. A man doesn't drown the moment he jumps into a lake. However, the longer he remains in the water, the wearier he becomes. And eventually, if he refuses to swim to shore, his strength will be used up and he'll sink to the depths. And this will be the, the, the situation. Uh, with a Christian who who goes back to living in the flesh. Again, I, and I, I want to really emphasize this. A Christian doesn't fall from grace after sinning once. I'm not talking about individual sins. I'm talking about 
allowing sin to destroy their will uh, to to follow Christ, and uh, and the, the sin is basically allowed to to conquer them, to dominate them, and to to take control of their life. So it's it's not about just individual sins; it's about ongoing, willful, habitual sin that uh, that, that causes this to happen. And the third way is just willfully turning away from the faith. And we, we read about that in Hebrews 6, 4 through 6, uh, among other places. So I would say um, that those three, and there, there might be, I don't know if there's any more than that, but those, those are the three ways that I see in Scripture that a believer uh, can fall away. So that, I know I, I spent quite a bit of time uh, presenting these things, so I'll, uh, I'll turn it over to whoever's next to, to make the counter argument. Well, I, I appreciate you taking some time and, and, you know, in my, my background, uh, in my theological studies, I I've heard much more of the opposite side. And so, you know, it's good to be able to, uh, to at least hear you, uh, advocate, uh, the position that you've come to as you read the scriptures, because, you know, I, I, I have in my mind all the, the kind of the stereotypical answers to all of these things, just because that's part of uh, the, the training that I've received. But I do know that as we think about an issue like this, it's more than intellectual. And I remember even wrestling with this and thinking that people in a position like yours um, that you that you've articulated just now, you know, over the last few minutes or so, um, that you would always be kind of terrified um, because you know you'd, you'd never have any actual assurance. But as I hear you describe it, you view um, you view at least it sounds like many of these passages as great encouragements. And I remember thinking about the implications of kind of just hearing the 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 more stereotypical Calvinist side. And I, I say stereotypical because, you know, I don't know, Greg's more of a Calvinist leaning and I want to let him speak for himself. I don't want to just shoehorn him into some position that I've heard before. But I remember thinking, well, how could I ever really know that I'm not one of those who's going to fall away? Because it seems that so many of these that, you know, that, that are, I don't know, that, that everybody that's got this assurance, uh, they never think that they could be the one who's falling away, but, but somebody is there, there at least are some people falling away. And so I don't know that, that kind of just ate away at the back of my mind. And, um, and yet there is a, a reality that kind of what you described that if we want to remain, uh, it seems that God wants us to remain, that he, he does offer and provide grace. And these encouragements are there that, um, but that we need to take this seriously. God certainly takes our salvation seriously by giving his son to shed his blood, to purchase us so that we could belong to him. Um, and so let's not be lackadaisical. And if we're going to remain, if we're going to keep ourselves in the love of Christ, a lot of these verses that you're talking about, then God's going to do his part. We shouldn't be worried that he's looking for some reason to disqualify us. Amen. Um, so am I hearing you correctly? Is that what you're, that's kind of what you're laying down for us here? Absolutely. I, I, um, whenever I talk about the subject, I really want to emphasize the fact that God absolutely wants us to persevere. He gives us all the grace uh, that we need to to persevere, um, and by grace I mean the help that we need, um, and and of course he he gives us plenty of unmerited favor as well. Uh, he overlooks so many of our faults, um, and maybe we'll talk about this a little bit more. But uh, it, it is a very real thing that Christians do sin. Uh, I yeah. think anyone that denies that is under a great delusion. Um, so I, my position is I'm not saying. Every time you sin, you fall from grace. That's absurd. The Bible nowhere teaches such a thing. Um, I, I think there's a, a mountain of evidence against that. Uh, so God is a gracious and loving and compassionate Father. He dearly loves His children, uh, but also God 
he wants love from us. And I, I believe love involves free will. And uh, in order for us to love God, we really do have to have free will. And it, as long as we have free will, there's always the possibility of falling away. So uh, I just I want to I want to make that really clear because I don't want people thinking that I'm I'm advocating some idea that that's uh, extremely legalistic and and, un, and unrealistic. Um, so yeah, I think that was, no, I, that, I that appreciate that because yeah, I, I unfortunately you know a lot of and maybe everybody else's perceptions and and you know past experiences are way different than mine. But the the stereotypical thing that I heard was always anybody in the Armenian camp should always be kind of wringing your hands, terrified. Um, and, and thinking that God's just looking to, you know, disqualify somebody. But then I talk to you and you have a much more, I think, reasonable position. So I at least appreciate that. Not to say that, you know, I, I agree with every single detail of what you said, but I, I, I appreciate, you know, you offering it and having the time to, to, to kind of lay that out for us. I do have one clarifying question before we turn it over to brother Greg. Um, mm -hmm. you believe that a genuine believer can fall from grace. If someone does that, do you think that they can come back? Yeah, and every time I every time I um talk about this, I want to I want to make a distinction because usually when people say it's not possible, they always jump to Hebrews six four through six, and they say, "Well, look, it's not possible for someone who falls from grace to be recovered." I make a distinction between, and I'll call I'll call it. I think I think John Wesley may have taught this, but I'm not even sure. I teach it, so that's that's I'll just say that. I believe there are I believe there are different levels of um I'll say apostasy. There's um what what Hebrews 6 4 through 6 describes as total apostasy. Where this this is not just simply you know turning away from the faith because of difficulties in life. This is this is someone this is describing a person who is turning away from God with the utmost hostility. And um and I want to point this out because a lot of people have misunderstood this. As a matter of fact, I got into a conversation with a guy a while back and he just insisted, well, no, Hebrews 6, 4 through 6 says, if you fall away, Christ would have to die all over again. The verse says nothing about that. Absolutely nothing like that. If you just read the verse, here's what it plainly says. It says, they have crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. The verse does not say that Christ would have to be crucified again. It has, that's nowhere in the text. It says, they do this to themselves. So the idea that Christ would need to die again, is not, not only is it not in that verse, but it's contradicted by several other texts, which say that Christ died for sins once for all. He died for all. His, 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 his atonement covered all sins. Um, so uh, Hebrews 6, 4 through 6 is describing someone who turns away in hostility, and they, they can't be recovered, not because, um, not because God doesn't want them to be, but because they refuse to come back. They refuse to, uh, to return because of their hostility toward Christ. Uh, so I, I believe that, that that type of apostasy is beyond remedy. But there are other types of lesser, I'll say, lesser versions that uh that 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 have a remedy uh, you know paul in uh in galatians five four he talked about you you know you have um you who have uh are trying to be justified by the law you've been severed from christ you've fallen from grace well just a just a few verses later and i think it's galatians five ten he says you know i'm confident that you'll come to the truth i'm confident that that you'll change your mind about this 
and you'll return to the truth. And when you do, God will be there waiting with open arms. So I, I don't think that all apostasy is the same thing. I don't think it's all on the same level. I think there are different, I'll say different kinds, different versions of it. One version is beyond remedy. The other versions uh, are, are not. Well, again, I appreciate you taking the time to kind of clarify your position, at least so we know what we're talking about. So we're not talking at some sort of stereotypical Arminian position. Sure. So you've given us, and I know you could have uh, gone into more detail, but you've given us a lot to uh, at least understand where you're coming from. So let's go ahead and uh, bring in Brother Greg. And uh, you definitely come from a different lens. I'm not sure, um, you know, how you exactly want to approach, uh, uh, you know, laying out your position, but at least kind of where Eric ended us off um, from his position, he doesn't believe or he does believe, excuse me, that a true believer can fall away and lose their salvation. Um, I would want to at least ask you that question first. Do you think a genuine believer can lose their salvation? Because the stereotypical Calvinistic position is what he kind of covered, that no, these are only, these were always false believers. So I kind of wanted to at least ask you that at the beginning, and then I'll let you take it from there. Sure. Um, I'm going to say no uh, with, a with a couple qualifiers, and I'll, and I'll get to those qualifiers in just a minute. Um, yeah, same, same for me, Eric. I, I appreciate your opinion. I think there are, are many things you're confused and mistaken about. This just happens to not be one of them. I, I, I'm going to agree with you. Um, and so when I say that I disagree that, that a Christian can't lose it, um, when I think of losing something, it's like, oh, where, where to go? I, I misplaced it. And I, I don't think that's what's being described. I think a Christian can abandon their faith, can, can walk away, can, can fall away, cannot abide, cannot endure, cannot overcome, um, can become apostate. Um, you know, you brought up the word apostasy. And when I think about apostasy, I, that word is a lot like the word repentance. Um, when we talk about repentance, um, we, we say that, that someone is walking in one way and they repent and turn and go the other. Well, that presumes uh, that they were walking in a direction. Um, and, and so they have to turn around to go in a different direction. Apostasy, when we use that word properly, it presumes that they were in the faith, that they, that they did hold a correct opinion of God, and they turned away, they abandoned that. Uh, so I, don't, I just wouldn't use the word lose their salvation because that sounds a little passive and a little, um, you know, I lost my car keys. I haven't lost my faith. Um, now, if I threw my car keys in the in Lake Michigan, I guess what I didn't lose them. I I I, I threw them away. Um, and so, generally speaking, um, I would. There's other things that you've expressed there that I would probably I would want to express in slightly different ways. Um, but for the most part, you and I have uh, no major disagreements uh, in this area. So I appreciate you going to Matthew chapter 13. Um, and not just the parable or the the allegory, uh, but Jesus's explanation of that. I I completely agree. I think that's the seminal text on this. Um, if we see something sprout up and then die away uh, through through lack of firm roots, or we see something sprout up and then be choked out by the care of the world, what is it that we're talking about sprouting up? Um, if if that sprout um, that Jesus is describing isn't the sprout of us sharing the gospel with someone and, and them walking for a season or maybe long seasons. Um, what is it? What's he talking about? If he's, if he's not talking about something there, um, something that looks to us like um, walking in the faith. And then you brought up Hebrews and, 
you know, I wouldn't stop at, at Hebrews six. I would, I would go from, you know, the start of, uh, start to finish of Hebrews. Um, as far as I can tell, the book of Hebrews, um, the core message coming out of the book of Hebrews is something like, do not neglect Christ. You who have heard Christ, you who know who Christ is, you who have followed Christ, do not neglect Christ because he is better. He's better than angels. He's better than the sacrifices. He's better than the priests. So stop turning your attention to him. Um, and I think, I think this language is all over the New Testament. You know, when, when Christ in John chapter 15 gives the instruction to abide, uh, that is an active, it's not a passive thing that he's telling them to do. It is active. Abide, hold on, stay, don't walk away. Uh, all the way to, to the book of Revelation, where um, when we see the letters that Jesus is writing to the churches, and he says, to those who overcome. Uh, well, what, is, what does that mean? It, if, it, if it doesn't contain the possibility of not overcoming. Um, and again, we can go to Second Peter. I can go, you went to Colossians and I would have gone there. We can see this in Romans. We can see it in Timothy, as you as you brought up. So, um, I would just express it differently, but for sure, um, I don't I don't see any major disagreement between us. Well, that's I'm very curious about that um, because you know stereotypically, um, and and that's why I love having conversations like these. You know, if I just think, all right, well, Greg's my Calvinistic leaning friend, and Eric's my Arminian leaning friend. You know, I have these positions in my mind that seem so incompatible, and yet you both are kind of arriving in a very similar place that maybe, you know, you'd emphasize things a little bit differently. You, as you said, Greg, you would articulate things a little bit differently and, and perfectly, uh, you know, that makes sense. But I, I would ask you maybe a follow-up. Um, what would you say to maybe anybody who's who's watching uh, or, or listening to this conversation who does come from that more Calvinistic lens, who would say, well, Greg, I mean, you, you're, you're just a, a Calvinist, you know, <laughs> you're, you're, you're an Arminian only. Calvinist uh, clone. I'm a right? not, Yeah, that's not... Uh, because that's not the position because, because, you know, the, I can hear the refrains or the questions, you know, could, uh, if, if, if Christ died for someone and they're saved, united with him, um, born again, joined with him, seated with him in the heavenly places, um, if, if they're part of the elect that God even, um, you know, foreordained from eternity past to be saved by the blood of Christ, would God somehow be a failure? Would this be a, a violation of uh, the passage in John six, which nobody mentioned, but yeah. one of the you know more uh, famous um, uh, assurance passages that um, all who comes to the Father that Jesus won't lose any of them. Yeah. Uh, how would you how would you respond to maybe someone kind of within that within that lens saying that that you think that maybe you know I mean you you've articulated differently than that. So I guess what would you say to someone from that that yeah, position? No, I, I could definitely see how somebody uh, from from a traditional Calvinistic Reformed lens would would take issue with, with my position there. And so I say, I hold the perseverance of the saints. I just redefine it. Um, I say this, um, what I, what I understand from scripture is no, Jesus isn't going to lose any that, um, again, he hasn't misplaced any of them. Um, when someone comes to faith, when someone is, um, baptized into the Holy spirit has a portion of the spirit, they have been given great power, power to persevere, power to endure, power to abide, abide, power that does not exist um, apart from God, that, that gifting of the Holy Spirit. And so with that power, you can 
You can choose to ignore it. You can choose to abandon your faith. You can, as as Eric described, um, look to another gospel. Uh, I think you laid out, Eric, three different ways. Listen, I, I would just, I'm a simpler guy. I boil it down to one thing. You're abandoning the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, how, whether you're abandoning it for love of the world or you're abandoning it, be, sure, we can, we can start delineating. Um, but, but what it comes down to is an abandonment of the atoning sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And, you know, the, your discussion about um, having from Hebrews chapter six, where you're crucifying Christ to yourself over again. I don't think that, and I'm going to agree with you again, I don't think that that's talking about putting Christ on the cross again to provide an atoning sacrifice. I think the point that, that the author of Hebrews is trying to make is you're putting Christ to shame again, not to reatone, but you're, you're hanging him back up there for, for people to look and to laugh and to scorn and to spit and to mock. Um, that's what I understand Hebrews chapter six, that crucifying to yourself, uh, Christ once again. You're right. <laughs> full, <laughs> full agreement. Full agreement. So, uh, uh, well, so it's interesting. So Eric, you, uh, you, you kind of said that, you know, you weren't going to say perseverance of the saints all the time. You're going to talk about eternal security. I know that sometimes uh, people talk about more, uh, more popularly, you know, the doctrine of being once saved, always saved. Um, do you guys view this? you know, P, perseverance of the saints. Is that the same thing as once saved, always saved? Or is there is there a difference of, of nuance? Because, I mean, it sounds like both of you guys at least touched on that if you don't view them as the same. Um, and it sounds like both of you would at least caution someone um, to wrestle with the reality that once saved, there is a possibility that they could turn away and lose what they genuinely have. Am I mishearing you guys? Or, I mean, is there any any clarification or nuance you would bring to, to that? Do you view those as the same doctrines or or is there a difference and would you have comments on on the other ones if they are different? As far as those two terms go, as far as uh, eternal security and perseverance of the saints, if there's a difference between those terms, I don't know what the difference is. But I will say that there there are absolutely different um, views of, I'll say, eternal security. Uh, there's different views of perseverance of the saints, um, and some of them are, I think, healthy, and others are. Um, potentially spiritually destructive. Um, I, I heard someone say that uh, uh, that it doesn't matter if we persevere or not, as long as you believed at a previous time, uh, you're locked in, so to speak. Uh, not only does the Bible not teach this, but it, I, it would be impossible to come to this conclusion, I think, just even just reading casually through, you know, through Scripture. I think it's um, it, it's so abundantly clear that you have to persevere in the faith. Um, as a matter of fact, I, uh, I, I read um, a counterpoint book a few years ago on eternal security. And um, you had mentioned Norman Geisler. Listen, I have a tremendous amount of respect for Norman Geisler. I think he's, uh, I think he's, he's one of the greatest, um, you know, apologists, Christian apologists, uh, philosophers um, of all time. I think I have a tremendous You're amount here. of respect for him. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, I, I have a lot of respect. So I don't say this out of disrespect for, for Geisler. I, I do respect him. But I bring this up. You're because allowed to, this is, you're allowed to disagree with people. I disagree with Norman Geisler on a few things too. But sure. uh, he's still, he's still up there on my Mount Rushmore of, uh, of theologians. Um, but, uh, anyway, my, my personal Mount Rushmore. 
Sure, and I can but understand. I, believe me, I've I've read Geisler's I some of his stuff. Feel by you, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I only take two of the spots, Greg. Okay. Yeah. I got to leave another one up there for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I doubt right. it. <laughs> but uh, no, but Geisler and others, I think, have have they've they've supported or they've tried to to support the idea that you don't have to continue in the faith; you can still be saved. And they, but the verse, the only verse that they use that I know of is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. And I, wanna, I really want to explain this, because I think a lot of people butcher this. Um, and I don't think it needs to be. I think it, it actually, the meaning of it can be crystal clear. So Paul says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So they read this verse and they think, well, okay, we can be faithless, but God will still remain faithful to us. Uh, we don't even have to remain in the faith. We can, we can just live faithlessly for the rest of our lives. That's fine. And God will just, uh, you know, God will remain faithful to us anyway. So we don't have to do our part. God will still do his part. Now, that's, in, that's a very interesting interpretation. Because if that's what Paul means, then Paul just completely contradicted himself. Because notice what the previous verse says. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. So no, notice that in verse 13, if, if Paul means that we can be faithless and God will still be faithful to us, then it's not true that if we deny him, then he'll deny us. That would be a contradiction. So that, that interpretation, I think Geisler's interpretation of this, erases verse 12. So what I would suggest is you take verses 12 and 13 together. And Paul says, if we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. So if we deny him, if we are faithless, God will deny us. Okay, that's, that's what Paul's plainly saying. So verse 13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. God remains faithful to who? Not to us. Himself. He remains faithful he to is. himself. That's exactly what, that's what this says. It, doesn't, it does not say... If we remain faithless, we're still good to go because God will remain faithful to us. It means God will remain faithful to himself. Why? For he cannot deny himself. So Geisler and others have butchered that passage so, uh, to make the case that you don't have to remain in the faith. It's, you're, you're good to go as long as you had previous faith. So that version of eternal security is, I would even say it's, it's borderline antinomianism. It's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a dangerous um, destructive version of eternal security that no doubt has has destroyed people's lives. I've seen it. I've seen this doctrine, this version of it, completely ruin people. Yeah. On the other hand, there is a version of eternal security that I think is healthy, and I and I think it's understandable, although I disagree with it. But it's it's the idea that uh, when you get saved, uh, God will make sure that you continue in faith. You'll continue pursuing holiness. God will move in you through the Holy Spirit uh, to, uh, to live the Christian life, to be a disciple, um, to do his will. And so, in other words, this version says that perseverance is necessary and holiness is necessary. It's just that God will make sure that you're, that you're on the path and that you're doing those things. So I, I may, maybe maybe eternal security for some people means the former, and if that's the case, um, that's that's a really uh, 
a really sad way to look at it. But um, but the other version of it, I think, is healthy. I think it's understandable, um, although I disagree with it. And there are many godly Christians who who would hold that view. So I want to just jump in. Um, I want to clarify one word. I mean, you use the word antinomian, and I want to make sure we're not we're not playing inside baseball here. Um, to be antinomian means to live without law. That, that you're free to live like a devil and but still claim Christ and yep. um, and and think that he's going to turn around and claim you. So I, I, I agree with the point you're trying to make there um, out of a pastoral. Well, we get to this point first. Um, the way I've come to this conclusion, and it's the way that I, I guess I would, I'll, I'll hear if you guys disagree with this or have any of the thoughts, but um, as I've wrestled with systematic theology, uh, what I've tried, and this is what we're doing here, right? We're systematizing. We're, we're, we are, we're taking an idea and we're using all of our, of our biblical reading to, dev- to come to a, to a conclusion and to a point. Um, the way I attempt to do that is, is start in Genesis, keeping my eye open for every verse that, that I think every block of verses that speaks to a particular situation. And in, in my Bible reading, I'll normally have two or three things that I'm thinking about as I'm reading through the Bible. And every time I come to a verse that, that I think even has a small amount of bearing on that, I'll write that verse down. And then when I'm, you know, Genesis to revelation, um, when I'm done, I will go back. I'll, I'll see all those points that I've, I've written down all those individual texts, go back, read those individual texts again. And then when I'm done, I will attempt to make some sort of statement that I believe and, and I, and I look for both sides of it. So, um, that's what I've done with this. Um, you know, so if, if you could see the book that I have sitting before me, I have, I have all these, these verses written down with thoughts next to them, um, about how I've come to the conclusion that I've come to. Um, and so I would encourage people to do the same thing. If, if you're sitting there going, Greg, you said you were Calvinistic, but you, you know, you disagree on, on this point. Okay. Well, um, again, I don't really care about being a Calvinist. What I care about is being, Thank God. Is about being, being biblical. That's why, that's why your place on my Mount Rushmore is uh, still secure because the, <laughs> uh, the typical view of systematic theology is I'm going to, I find myself inside of a camp, and so let me go to Google or whatever my favorite Bible software searching thing is, and let me gather all my proof texts, and let me get my talking point and my pat answers, and, and let me talk, uh, you know, uh, I'll, I'll polish up all these, uh, these uh, biblical bullets, you know, to, to shoot at the, uh, the other side. And, um, you know, it's, it's not helpful. Uh, but your approach, I think, um, you know, it, and it doesn't guarantee that we all come to the exact same conclusions, especially on one read-through or the second read-through. But as we continue on a lifestyle of, of continuing to say, all right, God, what, what does your word say? And, you know, let's, like you said, you, you, you said in a previous episode, you were, you know, going through a verse by verse commentary by one of your favorite theologians, probably a guy who's got a, a place uh, firmly entrenched in your Mount Rushmore of theologians, R.C. Sproul. And, uh, you know, he, you wanted to hear what he had to say, and he just kind of conveniently skipped a couple of verses. Um, yeah. Well, that stinks. And I've done that for Norman Geisler as well. Again, you know, I'm not going to just take shots at your guys. And, you know, not, you know, I, I was looking at uh, some issues even based on the conversation that we had from the premillennial, amillennial conversation. And, and uh, you know, some uh, some people in the comments had raised some issues. And I was curious to see what Norman Geisler had to say. It's been a while since I've read that. And 
boy, he, he just had nothing to say about a couple of verses. Like, oh, these ones, you got all these pages, all these volumes. And, uh, and still, and Geisler's long winded. Let's, I mean, I love Geisler, but he's long winded. <laughs> yes. Uh, um, uh, thorough is the, is the way that oh, I would put okay. it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but, uh, you know, you, you get these, these verses that elude discussion. And so, you know, you guys both agree coming from different lenses. I've taught on the same thing. And, and, um, you know, this, this passage in second Timothy two, if we take it all together, it's so obvious. This isn't saying that he can't deny us. It's saying he can't deny himself. In fact, if we deny him, he will deny us because he can't deny himself. It, it couldn't be clearer. And so, you know, one of the things that at least caused me to begin to open the door to, to evaluating my position on this is passages like this in second Timothy two, all the ones that you guys mentioned, Hebrews 12 is something I don't think that came up. I mean, we talked about the whole book of Hebrews in general, Hebrews six, but Hebrews 12, it talks about, um, making sure that there's not someone who's godless and immoral like Esau who sold their birthright. And when he wanted back in, uh, if we read that passage back in, in Genesis, it's the father who wouldn't change his mind. And so there is at least a level of apostasy that I do think is possible that, you know, that maybe people can't come back from. And yet there are all these encouraging passages, all the, the, the quote unquote eternal security verses that, that are supposed to not make us nervous, but to make us feel very confident. And so it's interesting. And I, I, I'd be curious to hear your guys' thoughts on this because as I, as I kind of just took the position as it was taught to me in the first place, I, I, I did. I, I said, I mentioned earlier that I just kind of had this, this kind of nagging thing in the back of my mind. How could I ever really know? if I was one of those whom God chose from eternity past. Because all these people that turn away, a person like Damas or, or someone like Judas, maybe, maybe they knew in their heart all along, but it doesn't seem that way. And certainly they were fooling other people. And there were other people around that were looking at them and going, yeah, we think it's, you know, when, when Jesus said, one of you guys is going to betray me, they didn't all, you know, this isn't an observation I first made, but they didn't all say, oh, it's Judas, of course. He's obviously a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. We know it. They said, is it me? And, and Damas, I mean, Damas went with Paul for a while. You think Paul, I mean, Paul had discernment. He had the ability to, to really see, you know, these are serious people. Damas was with him and then Damas went off because of the, the, the love of the things of this world. And so it's not obvious. And, you know, we can sit here in one stage of life, especially when things are comfortable or convenient. And, but then what happens if persecution comes or what happens if we go through some difficulty? What if, you know, it becomes illegal to worship Christ in this land and they're going door to door shooting believers in the head like they've done in other places. Will we remain firm? Will we continue to, to hold fast? And, and interestingly enough, this idea, even from Second Timothy 2, which is a passage that you just brought up about denying him, if we start to dig into what that means to deny the Lord, it's not just about our words. It is about our deeds. And I think that especially post-Reformation, there is such a huge pushback. I've experienced it in my own teaching ministry. Anytime you start to talk about the importance of deeds, people think, oh, you're a works-based, this is works-based salvation. I'm not talking about works-based salvation. I'm not talking about earning your salvation. What I am talking about is if we are truly born again, we were dead and now we're alive. We were darkness, but now we're light. These are not just concepts. There should be some evidence. If the Holy Spirit now indwells us, Brother Eric, you talked about this, we now are able to put to death the deeds of the flesh by the Spirit of God. Galatians chapter 5 talks about the deeds of the flesh being obvious, 
And then there's the fruit of the spirit. These are not things that are the fruit of our effort or the fruit of our religious piety. These are the fruit of God's Holy Spirit dwelling in us, that now that is going to produce something that is tangible. And so I've got a video here, you know, on YouTube about biblical tests. It's not, you know, can you discern that you are one of the, you know, secret elect from eternity past and you know the hidden things of God? It is, do you see the evidence that God has put forth his son, that you have believed this in truth, that Christ is in you, the Holy Spirit is in you, you once were darkness, but now you're light. And if you see these things, rejoice, you're saved. And if you want to continue in this, if you love the Lord and your love for him is growing, then he's going to continue to give you victory over sin. He's going to continue to give you the ability to endure. He's going to give you the grace that you need. He gave us his son already. Will he not? Is he going to withhold something else from us that we need? And so like there is, I don't find that to be discouraging at all. I find it to be incredibly encouraging. And yet, you know, the, the idea that this doctrine of eternal security has been given to people who live completely lawless lives, like you said, Greg, living like devils, but claiming the name of Christ, that they think that they can continue in the deeds of the flesh, that they think that they can continue practicing things that, that the Bible is clear. Don't be deceived. People who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. We go, no, we will. Cause I, I raised a hand one time or I walked an aisle or I prayed a prayer and I judged my own sincerity, or somebody told me God could never deny me. God could never deny me because, you know, 2 Timothy 2.13. Uh, well, what about verse 12, if we deny him? And the importance uh, of, of what the Bible says about denying him with our deeds, that our lifestyle can deny him, that, that actually the Old Testament and the New Testament talk about this, that when we take the name of Christ upon ourselves and then live as everybody else, that we are blaspheming his name. And so these are, these are important issues. And I, I do believe that this doctrine is so um, confused and abused that for those who love the Lord, we should have wonderful, beautiful assurance. But for those who are lackadaisical in their faith and who think that it's just like some, it's like a superstitious thing. Like I just, I raised a hand. So now I get to go to heaven no matter what. I, I don't see that anywhere in scripture. And so I guess I'm curious, I don't know what you guys think, if you, you would push back on anything I just said, or if you're, if you're with me, but I know that I've been called, you know, oh, you think we got to earn our salvation? Nope, I don't. I do not think that. I think that we work out our salvation, that the deeds, the fruit is the proof. If you walk up to an apple tree and you see a bunch of apples, then you believe the fruit. It's an apple tree. There's a sign on it that says, this is an orange tree. Don't believe the sign. It doesn't matter what it calls itself. Believe the fruit. What is it producing? That's what I think. Yeah. It, and of course, you know, right away, um, and, I, and I imagine you guys feel the same way, as we talk about, as we say, you can lose your salvation or you can fall away, we instantly do have this desire to give that assurance. And that assurance is there. And I want to reiterate that because I don't know that I've said it yet. Um, you have been gifted if, if 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 you're a christian that's listening to this and you're because you hear us saying these things you know you're now going oh maybe 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 i'm not saved and, and your assurance is um shaken by this hear me again say if you are a christian if you have professed faith in christ um these promises are here for you the power of of god is here for you to endure to abide. So when Christ says abide in me or or you 
uh, or you hear, you know, to those who, who overcome, um, it, it's not, well, we'll figure out, you know, we'll see in the end if you, if you mustered up the strength to do such a thing, um, the power is there and available for you. Um, man, yeah, don't neglect it. Don't turn away from it. Don't ignore yes. it. Uh, which Amen. again uh, is the, is the message from Hebrews. So don't be discouraged. If you hear us saying these things, actually be very encouraged that God loves you so much that he's made this available for you. Don't ignore it. Amen. Oh, amen. Well said. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So uh, you guys already touched on this, but just for the, the sake of clarity, and, and I think Greg, you particularly went into this um, and Greg, you were using, or excuse me, uh, Eric, you were using this word in, in your um, kind of beginning talk, but losing your salvation apostasy, exactly the same. Is there some difference between these two issues? Sure. And again, I, I, I just don't like the words losing your salvation um, because it sounds like something that happens to you. Um, so if, if we take my, if we're willing to take my frame of um, abandoning the faith and put that in place of losing your salvation, maybe they're the same thing. Um, and apostasy. Um, yeah, I, I would, Without careful consideration, I, I would probably use those uh, interchangeably. Um, if I've abandoned the faith, I've gone apostate. Um, I've apostatized when I deny um, the atoning sacrifice of, cro- of Christ on the cross. You know, I, I actually, uh, I, 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 I didn't realize at first, I have a, a thought on this um, that I had written down, and I, I completely forgot that I had written it down. Um, but as far as apostasy and losing your salvation, are they the same thing, or is there a difference between these things? Uh, I did, did a little bit of did a little bit of digging here, and according to Helps Word Studies, you can find this on like Bible Hub. Um, Helps Word Studies says that the word apostasy mentioned in Second Thessalonians three two is defined as properly departure, implying desertion, which is what Greg was emphasizing. Literally, a leaving. From a previous standing, so the implication exactly. is they were standing in a position and then they departed or left that position. Uh, Thayer's Greek lexicon defines the word as a uh, as a falling away from the true religion. In other words, not from false religion, but from falling away from the true religion. He says. Uh, and the, the great Bible commentator Charles Ellicott said, and this is referring to, to uh, the word apostasy in 2 Thessalonians 3.2, um, that falling away must undoubtedly imply that the persons so apostatizing had formerly held or perhaps still professed to hold the Christian faith. Men cannot fall from ground which they never occupied. Uh, so in light of these in light of these things, apostasy seems to involve, and Greg already mentioned this, abandoning the Christian faith. It's not something like, whoops, I slipped, I just apostatized. That's not the way, it, it, that's not how it's defined. Um, it, it involves abandoning Christian faith that was formerly embraced. That's, that's, how, I, that's how I see uh, this word being defined over and over again. So yeah, if salvation I, comes through faith, and that faith is abandoned, then it logically follows that this would result in a loss of one's salvation. So apostasy results in losing salvation. Losing salvation, again, doesn't mean misplacing it, but it means that you, you no longer, you're no longer in Christ. 
I guess um I guess what I what I would say too is that um I think uh, and and Joe you had talked about this a little bit earlier. There are people that think well you know I'm just I'm saved because you know uh, the Bible says uh if if I remain faithless then that's okay God will still remain faithful to me and they have just a misunderstanding of of what it means to be in Christ. Some people have faith in eternal security, but not faith in Christ himself. I think that's an important distinction to make. We have to continually trust that Christ is going to keep us. We have to trust that. Our faith has to be in him. It can't be in some some idea. It has to be in the person of Jesus Christ. We have to trust in his character. Uh, We have to trust that uh, he's, he's faithful to shepherd us. He's the guardian and shepherd of our souls, Peter said. So we have to have a continual confidence in the character of Christ to keep us strong, to keep us firm. So I think it's an important distinction to make. And, you know, if someone's wondering, you know, is, is my faith real? Is, is my faith genuine? Um, one, one way to find out, one way to at least start um, figuring it out, is by reading the book of 1 John, because the, the book of 1 John was written for this purpose. This is uh, the purpose statement is found in 1 John 5.13. And John, John says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, what are these things that he's talking about? He's talking about the evidences of salvation throughout the book. And these evidences include, um, you know, habitually following Jesus Christ, um, walking in the light, loving other believers, believing the truth. These are, these are things, these are um, characteristics of a, of a true Christian. If I, if, if I am following Jesus Christ, not perfectly, but persistently, uh, if I am loving other believers, if I'm treating them the way that I want to be treated for their benefit, that's, how I, that's what I think genuine Christian love is. If I am believing the truth, if I am, if I believe the doctrines contained in the gospel, if I believe Jesus died for my sins, rose from the dead, will return someday, uh, if I, if I, if I believe that, you know, if I believe the, the truth of the gospel, if I, if all these things are characteristic in my life, I can have confidence that that I'm in the faith. I can have confidence that I'm in Christ. And. Um, the good news is that and one of the evidences is not sinless perfection. Because again, Christians, Christians do sin. Uh, James 3, 2, we all stumble in many ways. And James is including himself in that. He says, we, meaning I do, I do too. I stumble in many ways too. In 1 John, um, in, earlier in 1 John, in chapter 2, um, uh, you know, he, John, John includes himself. He says, you know, if, if, if we claim to be without sin, we're deceiving ourselves. And we, he's saying, even this is me too. If if I'm claiming to be sinless, then I'm delusional. Uh, so, so it, I guess the the encouragement I would give from a pastoral point of view is that uh, yes, obedience is necessary. Obedience is 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 definitely necessary. We have to be bearing the fruit of salvation. There's fruit that has to be present in our lives. If that fruit is not present, uh, then we need to we need to seriously question our salvation um, and, and do that honestly. But uh, I would, um, I guess maybe this is the time to, I don't know if this is the right time to jump into this, but 
you had mentioned how, how does your view impact the Christian's ability to have assurance of their salvation? I guess that's kind of that's that's what we're addressing right now. Um, if I could, I just want to have just a, something brief to, to cover here. And I want to start by reading something Peter said in his second epistle that I think is going to be really helpful to clarify where I'm coming from. Second Peter 3.17 says, Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. Notice what Peter says. He says two things that might sound like a contradiction, and yet they're both found in the same verse. He says that the believer's position is secure, but he also says that it's possible to fall from it. And I don't think there's anything contradictory about uh, this idea, because security is found in Christ. And if the believer abides in Christ, which we have a responsibility to do, and it's not all up to us, but we do have our part to play, then, he, then the believer remains secure. And if he, if he does not abide in Christ, then he's, not, he's no longer secure. So how do we abide in Christ? How, how do we even go about doing that? Well, the good news is that abiding in Christ does not involve sinless perfection. If it did, then no one would be secure. I wouldn't be secure. Uh, I don't know anyone that would be. So abiding in Christ does not mean sinlessness. Instead, uh, Christians abide in Christ through faith, and faith does not involve perfect obedience according to Galatians 3, 10, and 11. I, I pointed this out before, but Paul made it very clear that living by faith is not the same thing as, as perfect obedience. It's, it's abiding in faith, living a life of faith. So th this means that a Christian doesn't cease to be in Christ by imperfect obedience. Okay, we begin the Christian life by faith, we continue in the Christian life by faith, and we finish the Christian life by faith. It's all by faith. And as you said, Joe, and you're, you're absolutely right, uh, it's true that faith produces faithfulness. Romans 1.5, there's an obedience that comes from faith. But again, faith does not mean sinless perfection. So in my view, I believe that Christians can be secure in their salvation, even though it's possible for them to fall away from the faith. So our, our security doesn't come from trusting in the doctrine of, of eternal security. It comes from trusting in Christ and abiding in him. And if a person is trusting in Christ and living a life of faith, then they can be confident and secure in their salvation. So that's, that's how I would respond to that. Yeah. And I want to build on that. You know, you talked about a lot about fruit and the fruit of, of this in your life. And I guess I would want to point out kind of as a warning, um, fruit is grown. It's not manufactured. Um, artificial fruit, you know, you can, you can be the kind of person that, that drags yourself to church, that, that does all the right things, says all the right things. Um, and, and I'm sorry to tell you, you're outside of what we're talking about here. Um, when, when Christ says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That's not, um, if you check all the rules, you're going to fool me. Um, when someone is converted, when someone um, is indwelt by the Holy Spirit, they are given a new heart. They are given a new disposition. Um, and now we, we talk about loving Christians. Listen, um, Christians, we, we are some of the hardest people in the world to love at times. Um, but, but if you are a son and daughter, son or daughter of God, um, that love is going to continue to grow, continue to, to manifest. It's not going to need to be manufactured in some, in some artificial way. 
And so if you find yourself in the position of, I'm just going through these motions, um, trying to fool myself or trying to look good enough, um, I, I would want to, uh, I would, I would tell you to fall on your knees before God, repent, uh, work out your salvation with fear and trembling and come to the, come kiss the sun, uh, lest he be angry. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I say a hearty amen to that as well. I, an analogy keeping with that, that fruit tree that has served me well, especially for those who think that I'm, I'm talking about works-based salvation. You do not transform an orange tree into an apple tree by collecting apples and hanging them in the branches. That doesn't, that doesn't do anything. And so a works-based salvation is trying to check those boxes, jump through the hoops. But what comes out of our heart? Um, I don't go to church and worship God because I, I have to. Um, I don't go to church and worship God because I'm a, a pastor. I want to worship the Lord because I'm so thankful for what he's done. Whereas in my previous life, when I, I called myself a Christian for the first 19 years of my life, I did it because I got to go to church. I mean, I'd rather sleep in. I'd rather do something else. But, you know, if I want to go to heaven when I die, I got to check these boxes. And my heart loved sin. And I could put on a show, but I was just, I was a, a Pharisee, although I wasn't as serious as the Pharisees. The Pharisees were much cleaner on the outside than I was, but, but it was the same kind of thing. I, I had a, in, internally, I loved unrighteousness, but I would begrudgingly say, oh God, okay, I'll do this. I'll jump to the hoops. The new nature, the regenerate nature, the born again nature, even as, even as it's immature, it begins to love the things that God says are lovable. Amen. And it begins to despise the things that God says are abhorrent. And that's what we should be looking at. And so what is my, what is my inner disposition towards sin? And it's not that it's all gone, but it's that when we sin, it's like, ah, oh, do we want to live like this anymore? Do I want to, do I want to be involved in these things that, that sent Christ to die in the first place? And if our heart has been changed, the spirit of God is doing something in Again, we don't have to be perfect because we, we do trust in a perfect Savior. We're not trusting in ourselves. We're trusting in Him. And we're not trusting in an idea, but we are seeing the fruit of this. Just like I'm not trusting in, in, a, in an idea of an apple tree. I'm actually grabbing the apples off the branches. That's what tells me this is that kind of a tree. So what is, what is God doing in our lives? And if He is producing fruit, even if it's small and immature at this point, as it grows, the Bible teaches that those who are in Christ, we are predestined to become conformed to the image and likeness of Christ. And so we want to take that seriously. We want to nurture that. We want to cultivate that. And in that case, then we're going to take these warnings seriously. There is a lot of truth, I think. You, you, Eric, you mentioned at the beginning, the, uh, the stereotypical Calvinist side warns us and says, you know, don't do certain things. Well, those warnings, they are helpful. Okay, I need to know that persecution is the kind of thing that might cause me go weak in the knees and try and turn away. So what does the Bible say? How do I overcome? Well, I overcome by the blood of the lamb, the word of my testimony. And the third thing that's often forgotten, not loving my life even unto death. Saying, God, if, if I have to lose my life for you, it's worth it because you already died for me. So praise you, Lord. What's the worst thing they can do to me? They can kill me. I'm going to fear you, God, who after they kill body can throw both body and soul into hell. I'm not going to fear men. I mean, what, what can they really do to me? What's another danger? Well, the love of money. The love of money. What do you think about false gospels? They try and tell you, Jesus just wants you to be rich. Go, go run after that money. Go get you, go get you that bag. Go get that money. Well, this is a, a huge danger. <laughs> you sold me with it's that. It's a job. huge danger. Yeah. Go get that bag, Eric. You got to get that money, get that money, get that paper. You got to do it. 
You're a pastor. And in doing You're so, both we destined can, to be poor. <laughs> we can abandon Christ, right? I, I, I don't want to. And so I want to take that seriously. I want to trust that God is going to provide what I need. He's going to provide for my daily bread. He's going to, he's going to, if I have clothes on my back and a roof over my head and these things, I say, thank you, God, for providing what I need. I don't need a super yacht. I don't need a, a, my own jet airplane. And you know what? Some Christians might have those things. I'm not saying that it doesn't, that you're not a Christian if you have those things. I'm just saying the pursuit, what are we pursuing? Are we pursuing comfort? Are we pursuing ease? Are we pursuing, then what would make us not be like Damas then that Paul said turned away because he loved the things of this world? So I just want to take those things seriously. And Eric, you said that was a powerful statement. You said it twice. I don't want to trust in the idea of a doctrine. I want to trust in Jesus. And so I don't want to trust in, oh, I, I did it. I, I checked the box. I, I raised my hand. Therefore, I cannot ever fall away. Instead, I want to actually not fall away. I want to actually walk with the Lord. And I, I believe that First John is, is probably the same place I would send someone to if they're, that'd be the first place. If you're looking for assurance, read this. Do you see a love for fellow Christians? Are you trying to walk in the light? Are you turning away from sin? When you sin, are you confessing it? Do you agree with God? God, yes, this is sin. This is not right for me as your child to be in, engaging in? Do you have the testimony of the Holy Spirit? These are things that, that we can put a lot of confidence in. And, and some people think we shouldn't examine ourselves. Paul said the exact opposite. He said, examine yourself. See if you're in the faith. Uh, and, then, and then we can continue on. So I don't know. It seemed like you had something to say, and I, I kept going. So sorry about that. No, that was really good what you said. And I, w I just want to go back to something you said about um, this idea that, well, you're claiming that we're earning our salvation by works or something like that. And, and some people might accuse us of, of saying that, which is absurd. The question is, what are your motives for doing the works? What are your motives for doing what you're doing? Uh, you know, if someone, if someone is saying, I am, I, I am doing these things, I'm checking off these boxes because I'm trying to earn justification before God. I'm trying to earn God's favor. Uh, yeah, then that is, that is trying to earn your salvation through works. But if you're, if you are uh, doing the works out of a love for God, out of an appreciation for what Christ has done, uh, because you want to bring him glory, then that's something entirely different. And I think it's, it's where, where is your heart? What are your motives? Why are you doing what you're doing? I think that's the most important thing, uh, you know, to keep in mind. And I, you know, I've had to, I've had to, examine my motives. I, I, I actually try and examine my motives regularly because I know myself and I know that if I don't watch myself, I start to, I can start to think, well, you know, I, I need to do this. So, you know, people hear me and people, uh, you know, think such and such a way about me. And so I, I, I watch myself and, you know, honestly, <laughs> honestly, uh, uh, I'd say the past couple of years, God has um, made it abundantly clear to me that uh, whatever tiny little bit of fruit I bear, it's by his grace alone, not by any strength in me, not by any power in me. Uh, if God were to leave me to myself, I would destroy myself in a very, very short time. Uh, so thank God that he guards and shepherds our souls. Uh, I'm so thankful that he that he does that. But again, we're, you know, uh, we don't we don't earn our salvation through works. We're not trying to earn our salvation. But at the same time, the Bible does say repeatedly that Christians need to put effort into their spiritual lives. 
Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Greg uh, mentioned that earlier. Strive to enter through the narrow gate. Um, well, let me let me make, just read the what I think, what I would argue is a definitive text on this. Um, Ephesians okay. chapter 2, starting at verse 8. For grace, for, excuse me, <laughs> start over. Ah, can't read. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It was a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may, bo- may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. I mean, it, it doesn't get more simple than that. Um, you did not save yourself. You didn't earn your holiness. You didn't earn your righteousness. It was a gift of God. But now that you have been declared righteous, God has prepared good works for you to do. So go and do them. Yeah. A, a brother I fellowship with a lot, um, you know, would be elated to hear that you actually read 2.10 along with 2.8 and 9, because 2.8 and 9 are so often read and separated, just like we, you know, we do that for everything. We kind of, we chunk off various passages and verse 10 is so often left out and it gets to the application. And so maybe as this conversation is winding down, I do, I do want to get to the, some just application because anybody who's watching this, you know, they might be more on the Calvinistic side of the spectrum more on the Arminian side. Maybe they're off the, the spectrum, what, whatever. But the reality is, is that Everybody has to deal with the, the truth that there are people who profess to be Christians, who think that they are saved, who ultimately will not end up being saved. Now, whether or not the answer is, well, they were never really saved in the first place, or they were saved and they lost their salvation, I'm not quite sure what difference that makes to anybody. I don't know if you get cast into the lake of fire, if you're like, ah, oh, at least I never actually had it. Like, I don't know if that makes you feel any better, right? That's a terrible, it's a terrible reality that there are some who think that they are Christians, Matthew 7 is one of the most chilling passages in all of scripture. There are, think, there are people who will say to the Lord on the day of judgment that think that they're Christians and they're not. And so my pastoral concern in talking about these things goes well beyond the intellectual interest. I want people to endure until the end. And I believe that the Bible, as we're talking about perseverance of the saints, the Bible is very clear. All who believe and endure until the end will be saved. Now, I think that some people say, if you've believed, you guaranteed will endure until the end. Or, you know, be careful. God's looking for a reason to disqualify you. I I don't take either of those extremes. I think that the Bible is abundantly clear. If you believe and endure until the end, you will be saved. And if you want to endure until the end, God wants you to endure. He's given you his Holy Spirit. He's given you his son. He continues to give you grace day by day. When we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. We have a living advocate who, who, who actually stands at the right hand of the Father to make intercession for us beautiful. So go and abide in the grace that he provides. And that is kind of my application point is not to, to fight with other believers who, who take, quite frankly, I do not know what we gain by, let's say I can convince you guys. No, 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 no. Those who fall away, they never actually had salvation in the first place. The reality is that there are some who think there are Christians who will fall away. And it seems that as I read these passages, Hebrews, make sure that it's not you. And in fact, Examine those others as he's talking about it. Make sure that there's not any among any of you who has this wicked, unbelieving heart who falls away from the living God. I think that we have a responsibility not only to look to ourselves first, but then also to look to our brothers and sisters in Christ and, and be an encouragement to one another and say, let's, let's continue. Let's continue on this path together. Let's stay on the narrow path. Let's continue to put our eyes on Christ, to fix our eyes on him, and to, to continue to persist, to strive even in this upward God of call or this upward call of God in Christ Jesus, because he is worthy of nothing less. 
And Eric, yeah, when I said amen to you, I, I, was, I wasn't saying amen. Yeah, Eric, you would fall. I'm saying that for myself. If, if, if God left me alone for even a moment, I need a savior just as much today as I, as I did it, it when I was at my worst. And thankfully, he has promised that he will never leave us nor forsake us. The question is, will we leave him or forsake him? I don't want to do that. And so I do want to keep myself in the love of Christ. And I can only do that by the strength that he provides. And so it's still not, if, if he wasn't doing it, enabling it, I would be lost. Anybody would. But because he is a good and gracious God, he has put forth his son for our salvation. That's ultimately kind of where I land as a pastor. Anybody who comes to me and talks to me, this is what I would encourage them. Take your faith seriously. Do you guys see it differently than that? Would you have different pastoral concerns kind of as we're, we're winding this down? What would you say to someone who's maybe wrestling with these issues or uh, just kind of, uh, you know, final thoughts on this? Yeah, I guess what, what I'll address, I'm going to ignore your question and answer the question I want to answer instead. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um, yeah, that's good. <laughs> um, you know, I, I know, I know that my, my more, my, yeah, my more Calvinistic brethren, uh, first of all, know this, I, I love you and I, I count myself among your number, but I know their argument's going to be, no, 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 Greg, you misunderstand. Uh, those people weren't ever Christians. And, and to that, I go fine. Um, maybe maybe that's the case. And maybe from a divine perspective, that's, that's, uh, maybe that's true. Uh, that's not how your Bible talks. Um, these warnings are given, um, not, it's not preceded by, oh, and for those of you who aren't really, but think you are, the warnings are just there. And so I want to talk again, as much like my Bible. So before you jump in the comments or pull me aside at church and tell me how wrong I am. Um, I'm just telling you what the word of God says. So leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Well said. Eric, you, yeah. Eric, you got any uh, final uh, pastoral thoughts for someone maybe who's uh, wrestling with this? I'm sure you've had people come to you from time to time with this issue. What, what, what have you said? What would you say? Any clarifications you can bring as we uh, wind this conversation down? Yeah. One of the most important things you can do is examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Paul said to do that. The whole book of 1 John serves that purpose. Don't, uh, don't neglect examining your own heart. Um, and you have, to, you have to do this very seriously. You have to do this very honestly. This requires the utmost honesty. And, you know, you had mentioned, Joe, Matthew 7, 21 through 23. These people were convinced that they were Christians. And then on Judgment Day, they, they find out that they never were. And what Jesus says is, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. They were practicing sin. They were living in sin. Uh, and now the Christians still sin. Yes, they do. But there's a difference between sinning and living in sin. Those are, those are two vastly different things. I like the way John Wesley said this. He said, in, in, a, in the Christian life, sin remains, but it doesn't reign. And that's an mm. important uh, distinction to make. So if, if, you're, if, if you're wondering if you're saved, uh, Christians, Christians do sin, but Christians also are growing in holiness. And sin is um, something that is has less and less of a stranglehold over time. We're, we're, we're growing and we are um, striving to overcome sin. And if you're striving to overcome it, you're going to get better at it. You're, you're going to 
you're going to be um, winning more battles over time. You're going to be resisting temptation more often. Uh, and so I just, I just encourage you that, again, if you're living in sin, if, if sin is like the norm in your life, if you're, if you're, if you're doing it intentionally, uh, you're not even trying to resist it, then chances are you are not, you're not a Christian. But, um, yeah. but if, if, if you think, you know, you know yeah, I, I really did make a real decision to follow Christ, you know, but I'm still struggling with sin. Well, welcome to Christianity. Uh, Christians do, yeah. do battle you, know, you, you quoted, you quoted Wesley. And so I, I want to throw out a quote too. So sure. um, I'll quote Paul, I'll quote Paul Washer and he's in agreement with Wesley. Um, the, the question isn't, um, are you completely separated from sin? It's, do you have a new relationship with sin? Where, where once you loved your sin, and again, Joe, you've, you've kind of already said this, where once you loved your sin, do you now hate your sin? Um, that is the mark of, of conversion. That is the mark that you are on the way. Do you have a new relationship with it? Um, no longer a relationship of embracing it and loving it and feeding on it, but a relationship of despising it and, and seeking to, to cut yourself off from it in holiness. Just, just, just one last thought. Um, as far as sin goes, um, sin is one thing. And of course, Christians, Christians deal with, with sin and struggle with sin, but it's not just that you're trying to avoid sin either. It's that you're growing in love for God and for other people. And, uh, what, what gives us confidence on judgment day, according to first John, what will give us confidence more than anything else is that we have a love that's like Christ's love. If we have that love, uh, then that love casts out fear. Um, contrary to popular belief, I don't think that I don't think the perfect love there is God's love for us. I think it's our love, and perfect just means mature in that verse. If we have a if we have a mature love, a uh, a developed love for God and for others, and we're living in that love, then that will give us confidence now and and on Judgment Day. Yeah. Now I I, uh, I can say amen to the idea that you know our as our love for the Lord grows, um, you know certainly the the Bible is abundantly clear that we can have great confidence that we are in Him and that in Him there is no condemnation and we can rejoice in this. We can rejoice in His love for us that nothing could separate us from that. And and if we want to continue with Him, we can be so thankful that He loved us enough uh, to give His life for us. And truly, there is no greater love than this that one would lay down His life his friends. And so I'm, I'm thankful for the conversation today, brothers. If uh, any of uh, are, uh, are still watching this video, if you got value from this, go ahead, click that thumbs up button. Let us know that you liked it and let us know your thoughts down in the comments. We are interested to hear your perspectives as well. If you are watching this and, and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, the most loving thing I can tell you is that I, I would urge you on behalf of God, the father to be reconciled to him today by turning to his son, no longer be unbelieving, but believe in the name that is given under heaven, the only name that we can be saved. We must be saved by the name of Jesus Christ who lived that perfect life, died for our sins, rose again, and is coming again in glory to judge the living and the dead. If you're a believer, I encourage you to abide in the love of God, abide in his grace and continue until the end. And until we see you again, get equipped, obey your king and glorify your God.